episode number seven. Uh, still pretty surreal. Still feels like only yesterday I was recording the first episode. So to be up to number seven is pretty crazy. I just want to quickly say thank you to everybody who is listening. I appreciate you all and I'm extremely grateful that you take the time to listen. In regards to this episode, so I sat down and had a chat with Joe Matthews. So the gym where I work at is called Real Fit Strength and Conditioning. There are two owners slash directors, so I previously sat down with one of them, Alistair Buttermore. In this, this episode, I sit down with the other one, who is Joe Matthews. So we discussed Joe's journey to get to where he is now, and Joe's been coaching for a long time, so we also kind of discuss what we think are some of the keys to achieving longevity with coaching, and also longevity with your training. And just a quick FYI, so early on in the podcast, we talk about the shutdown, so when we say the shutdown, we have just come out of a 10-week government-enforced closure. So the gym has been clo- had been closed for 10 weeks uh, due to coronavirus. So yeah, that's what we're referring to when we say the shutdown. But yeah, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Righto, Joe, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's been a, um, it's been a while coming. How has your morning been today? Yeah, pretty good morning. The kids are on school holidays now, so the mornings have... Uh, then not as much urgency from them to get going, but still from me. Uh, had a couple of couple of sessions with people this morning. Covered some interesting stuff actually in those sessions. So yeah, it's been a good morning. That's cool. How do the kids go on school holidays? Do they just annoy you the whole time? Or? <laughs> uh, yes and no. It's it's challenging. Like sometimes they'll be in. Well, there's three of them, so they'll be in three different places. So keeping tabs on how they're going throughout the day, uh, yeah. As long as you know, as long as it's with family and um, they're having a good time, you know, that's all that matters. How old are they again? So we got Caleb. He's ten. Kai will be seven next month, and Jack, who's just turned three. Yeah, right. It's a decent spread of ages, eh? Yeah, yeah, it is. But uh, you know, like it's just the way it goes. <laughs> It's, um, you know, Kai's in the middle and he annoys both of them. So I was, I was going to say that. Do they get sick of each other hanging out for too long in the holidays? Well, or you I get sick got, of them. Yeah, I get, I get sick of them bickering <laughs> with each other. Sometimes they get along and it's like, I should bust the camera out and film this so that I, I know that it's real. But uh, during the lockdowns, obviously, we're in each other's pockets pretty much 24-7 and a lot of the time was spent out and about and as long as my boys are doing something like an activity whether it's uh, riding their scooters mountain biking hiking building you know bases outside they're yeah. always really good it's when they don't have anything yeah. and they're they're sort of you know they're bored you know, they have to be doing something if they're doing something they're good how did you guys go during the shutdown um, even you personally how did you find it yeah, looking back on it now, um, you know, we've we've been lucky to be pretty much straight back into it and you don't really give it a second thought unless you're asked. But, um, no, it's crazy hey, how quick because we found out obviously we basically had zero warning of when we had to shut down. Yeah. And it takes like two weeks and you just adapt to your new way of life. That's exactly right. And now we've been open again for what, five or six weeks now and you like forget that the shutdown even happened almost. Yeah, it's true. I think um, it's really important to be solutions orientated. Um, it's easy to sort of 
get upset at things that you can't control. Uh, but if you do, you, you just got to move on from that. And I think it was a net gain having the lockdown in terms of the time that I got to spend with the family, with the boys yeah, that's um, awesome. and with Christy when she wasn't working as an essential worker. You know, she's a firefighter, so her roster just went on as normal pretty much. That's awesome. Yeah. If anything, she picked up some extra shifts. Um, but, yeah, it was – I think the biggest challenge was that, you know, usually home is is a chill-out place. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a place where you spend – what little time you have on a day-to-day basis together and having conversations about your day and whatnot. But it sort of, it became school, work, sanctuary, uh, play. It was everything. It was all of these things and... That was a challenge. Yeah, and imagine having, having kids. To balance all of that. And imagine having kids would be hard for you to be like, okay, now I'm doing work now, so <laughs> I can't play with you right now. I know I'm still in the house, but I can't play with you because I'm doing work right now. Yeah, it was. It wasn't as it was. It was fine on the days that Christy was home because I could go in the garage and and work from there, or yeah. she would take them out and I could work from. But um, when you got to study. watch them and do work. Yeah, it was it was definitely challenging, and I think the the X factor in it all was young Jack because, you know, he's not being homeschooled and, the, 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 and, you know, he's not at school, sorry, and the two boys are there uh, doing school via Zoom yeah. and they're online chatting to their teachers and their classmates and then Jack jumps Jack's into the mix and yeah. wants, wants to come outside and jump on the trampoline and then the idea of going outside and jumping on the trampoline trampoline or doing maths was like oh can i go jump on the trampoline no you're yeah. at school so yeah it was um it was interesting but definitely um grateful for yeah. that time and thankful um that i got to spend it with the kids yeah that's cool and you've adapted okay back to going back to normal yeah yeah i sort of had a conversation with myself at not out loud because that'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, you know, I won't. I won't um, go full tilt back into it. Um, yeah. But it's hard to not to when no, you love what, what happens, you do. Yeah. And we came back online or back face to face, and yeah, just ripped straight back into it. And you know, I I really enjoy what I do. The interaction with different personalities and the challenges of um, helping them with their different goals. Yeah. And, you know, you you get to know people really well and not yeah. that you didn't get to have those conversations still, you know, we did it over Zoom during the lockdown, but just the connection and that no, face-to-face it's just, interaction. Yeah, it's just different face-to-face, isn't it? It is. Like, it is different. Yeah. And you, you, you get more of a look into – just the little things like facial expressions and yeah. and the, the tonality of your conversations and you can almost tell and you can vibe or yeah. you can bounce off each other yes. too. Like yeah. If you're yeah. a bit down, they might come in high energy and they can pick you up and yep. vice versa. Absolutely. And and you can just look at the ones, you know, some of them I've been working some of the guys I um, train, I've been working with them for five years, six years, seven years and longer. So you can just mm. tell how they are when when you see them without yeah. even saying anything. Yeah. But yeah. No, that's good. It's been great getting back into it, Ben, and um, very very. 
grateful for our community here at Real Fit and just how quickly everybody mm. ripped back in, you know? Yeah. Like it was Yeah, it's been amazing. It it's been very humbling. Very humbling. I agree. And, um, you know, just you know that we've got a great community and we've worked hard for it, but just seeing it happen mm. is just like – yeah, it's next but, level. Yeah, it's such a nice affirmation of all the hard work that we all put in. Oh, definitely. Okay, so now we're going to move on to your story, Joe. So we can start from the very beginning. So where were you born? So at the time, it was a very small country town. I, I would say maybe five, 7,000 people at tops. I was born in Bathurst, New <laughs> South Bathurst. Wales. Yeah. Most people know Bathurst as... Uh, you know, it was busy once a year with the Bathurst 1000. They know it for the car <laughs> races, but it was a very small town. I grew up in Bathurst in the 80s, and um, I can remember, like, we did not even have a, a movie cinema. We, we Like, it was small, yeah. <laughs> you know, and... Um, Bathurst, is pretty, Bathurst is pretty big now. I, I think it's around 40,000 yeah. now. Yeah, um, that that would double come Bathurst one thousand time. Yeah, but um, yeah, back back then it was a very small town, and um, we knew everyone in our street. You know, like cool. it was unreal uh, growing up there because we were just out and about constantly. You know, like building bases and climbing trees, and you know, you wouldn't come in. Until your mum sort of called you over the yeah. fence, you know, it's time to come in now, and you'd be like, "Nah, ten more minutes, come yeah, on." Yeah, well, it's just a different era, isn't it? Like, there's no <laughs> technology or anything like that, so you just no, and and outside in the dirt, everyone knew everyone. Like, and there's something you know? kind of safe about that too. Like, parents are happier to like obviously let their kids out when it's like you know everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's I th- I think absolutely. I, as a parent myself, I agree. You know, like I agree with that, and I can see. Um, sort of why it's it's uh, so so good to have connections with um, your neighbours, yeah. Because um, that is a is a really uh, awesome benefit of of that. But yeah, Bathurst Bathurst in the eighties was pretty small time. <laughs> I so don't. You, yeah. Yeah. So you went to school there. Yeah, I went to primary school there, a place called Holy Family, and it was just literally. Pro, I think. 300 and 400 meters up the road so i used to walk to school with yeah. my friends yeah right and walk home after school and yeah it was was comfortable it was was nice how old were you when you started playing footy uh i didn't start playing footy till i i think i was around 12 maybe, maybe 10 to 12 did you play yeah. soccer or anything when you yeah were yeah, yeah i played, played soccer, soccer yeah. first when i was in bathurst and did track and field so they they were the sort of first sports that my parents asked me if I wanted to try, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I want let's let's give it a crack, and really enjoyed both of them. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then so then you went to high school in Bathurst as well. No, I I came up to Canberra. I think around 1992, 1994. It's yeah, okay. hard to remember the. So your parents moved date. here. Yeah. So uh, my father, Ray, he worked for a company called Smorgan ARC. So it's like a, a world mesh company. They, you know, they do did a lot of world mesh for big 
uh, big jobs like yeah. Old Parliament House and things like that, and he got transferred up here. Yeah, right. I didn't want to come. What's, blew, the, um, what's your parents' um, cultural background as well? Because that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm a bit of a fruit salad. So my dad's English, uh, Scottish yeah, right. mix, and my mum is Filipino. And, yeah, we, we didn't we, – we, didn't know until recently, actually, when my my sister's a journalist, Alice Matthews, and she was doing a story on um, on what happens with your information when you get a genetic test done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she got it done, and we found out that we were twenty percent. I think it was eighteen or eighteen or twenty percent um, Pacific Islander. Which, there you go. Yeah, we we didn't know. So yeah, right. Yeah, so there's there's that in there, um, but yeah, crazy mix. Yeah, right. So then, so you guys came to Canberra around that ninety, would you say ninety four, ninety two, ninety four, in there somewhere. I think it was, I think it was ninety. Yeah, in there somewhere, ninety two. I think. Yeah. So you went to high school here. Yes, high school in Canberra. What school um, did you go to? Well, so all the Canberra locals that don't didn't go to that school can bag you out about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you can give it to me. my my parents um, are from an era, and I think education is big for for everybody, regardless of the era. But um, particularly coming from the backgrounds that they came from, they wanted to make sure that we all got the best education, no matter what. And and they both worked so hard, and I think I got my work ethic. I definitely got it from them, but they worked so hard and they put me through, um, uh, put me into a private school, um, St Edmunds College, and that's where I went to high school. Yeah, okay. How'd you find that? Well, I I, I didn't want to go. Like, I didn't want to move to Canberra. I blew up about that. Oh, really? End up being a, <laughs> the best decision ever. You know, when your parents or, yeah, yeah. you know, your parent makes a decision for you, but you can't see it. Oh, yeah. Well, you, they when, can you're, see when you're that young, you don't see no, anything. You don't. You, you don't, don't. You don't no. understand anything. But, yeah, I wanted to go with with um, a couple of friends that I had made to – I wanted to go to um, a school down in Tuggeranong. And, um, yeah, I, I just said, no, nah, I'm not going, blah, blah, blah. My mum said, yes, you are. I said, okay. <laughs> and I, I went and it was yeah. the best decision I think they ever made for yeah, me. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I loved um, high school. Yeah, that's cool. So then um, post-school, what did you do post-school? So I, I went to uni straight out of school, which was the wrong decision for me. Um, obviously, my, my parents or my mum was really big on making sure I went to university. And I think I went more for, for her than yeah. for me. Well, that's an interesting thing, hey, because the longer time's gone on, the value of degrees is kind of just going down and down and down. If that makes sense, oh, like it obviously does make back sense. in when they were probably yeah. younger, like a degree guaranteed you were going to get a great job and it guaranteed you security and You're that right. sort of stuff. You're right. just, it's, that's just not there anymore. No, no. Like I'm not saying there's that. Like degrees are great, and obviously I think they're the highest standard of education we have. But yeah, there's not that no. guarantee of a jo- great job anymore. And it, and it depends too. Like my my dad's generation, um, university was free. But not a lot of them went because they got into the trades. Um, So they they became builders. Like my dad was a plumber by trade. Um, 
so his idea of university and my mum's idea of university are two different things because yeah, you're looking okay. at different sectors, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I agree with exactly what you're saying. I think there's an oversupply with um, a lot of degrees now, which means that experience and frontline's experience becomes that much more important, so yeah. much more competition for jobs. Yeah, you're right. So when, so then you, so you started uni. How long did that last? Uh, I, I did a year and yeah. then I deferred and went and played rugby overseas. Oh, I went nice. And, Where'd uh, you go? Went to Canada. And That's awesome. Played in the Canadian Super League, uh, which is rugby union. They yeah. have a national rugby union competition, which also encompasses a couple of the West Coast um, US, USA teams, oh, West Coast sick. American teams. So, yeah, I was very, very um, lucky. But I guess you got to put yourself in those positions. I got to travel the whole of Canada and How old were you the then? West Coast like of the 20, USA. 21, 22 No, no I, I think I turned 19 when oh. I was over there. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So Jeez, I turned, you would have had fun over there. Yeah, it was unreal. I went with uh, one of my rugby mates um, and, yeah, with in the Canadian season, due to the winter, it goes in part A and part B, and you have the winter off. So we took that time, and we had this Toyota Four Runner, and we drove the whole west coast of America from Seattle all the way down to Mexico, up to Las Vegas <laughs> in our off season. And yeah, that would have been was, so good. It was unreal, mate. It was unreal. Great experience. I just um, couldn't speak more highly of the American people. They were just so welcoming to a couple of Aussie guys. They really are. They love trip, it. They you know. love because well, when I was over there, it was the same thing. They love Aussies, hey. Yeah, they yeah, and they were just so welcoming, and yeah, it, it was it was a good time. So, how long did you stay over there for? Uh, I think I was there from two thousand to. I think maybe March, April 2001, I think I came came back. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was – I needed to do it and um, I'd spend a lot. Um, so I think I was 15 in school when I started playing first 15. Yeah, right. So I spent three years there, you know, played Australian under-16s, Australian development, schoolboys and – then I was in at the Brumbies at 16 and it was all so much when, when you're that age. But you, you, you love it. You love it yeah. until you don't. And then it becomes yeah. a chore. A chore, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Christy always gets upset at me for saying chore. Chore. <laughs> <laughs> chore. And, uh, yeah, the enjoyment went out of footy for me. So going away and not having sort of the – I think the, the pressure and I didn't have – all I had to do was play footy and work the job. Over yeah. in Canada, rich people own a team. Yeah. Okay. So you go – when they bring you over, you work for their company. And, and I'd imagine the standard of footy wouldn't have been like anything special. So like – yeah. Nah. So you it, was, it was okay. Like oh, the yeah. Super League was good but – Yeah, I'm sure yeah. but it's just not as – it's just going to be way different to Australia where you have like people grow up playing the sport. Yeah. It's just intense. And You're everyone... right. A lot of them came from playing um, 
ice hockey or CFL, yeah, Canadian Football League, yeah. which is similar to NFL. The rules are a bit different. I can't remember the differences now. I, I knew it's just back totally then, little differences. When I was in, I've, well, I went to a Canadian Football League game when I was in Canada once. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, I I went to a bunch of them. I I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, they definitely look at. Uh, rugby, like they think it's cra- crazy initially. You guys well, don't have pads. Well, it's getting bigger. <laughs> it's like, like a lot of universities and colleges and that in yep. um, Canada and America now. A lot uh, of can, them play rugby. You can thank Rugby Sevens for that. It, yeah. um, it is uh, the true form of um, an international sport. Yeah, it really like is. Well, just because yeah. of the – because it's quite simple – like in terms of the actual premise of the game, like any nation can kind of do it. Yep, absolutely. And and the thing about it too is, you know, you can still have all shapes and sizes in it, but the common denominator is you have to be fit. So if you look at like people don't understand how big rugby is in Asia, um, it really suits a lot of the different Asian countries because, you know, they're, they're not – generally as huge as what you would get in Scandinavia or um, Europe, yep. but they're fast and they're fit. Yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. They, they, their genetics lend well to the game of rugby sevens. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, so then when did you come back from Canada? Uh, yeah, so I think early 2001, maybe April. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah somewhere, somewhere in there. around there. Um, went back to uni, uh, back to footy over here. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I I sort of missed home in the beginning, but then I really started to love <laughs> being away. That's what happens. Yeah, and I got a bit couple, of a bug, and I thought first oh, couple of weeks you're like, oh yeah, this I'm yeah. not going to cope, and then you get into it, and you're like, oh, never going home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought to myself though, if I if I get on the road straight away again, I'll I'll just never come back. I'll never stop. So yeah. I I got back into footy here. Like the drive was back, the, the passion yeah, that's was cool. back for it, which was awesome. So yeah. So then, so when you came back, so you kind of did you end up um, seeing out uni? I I fell short by. About six, I think half half a, well, a semester actually. Yeah. Okay. So where in there did you start coaching? Um, oh, I had started coaching probably two thousand and four, two thousand and three. I think actually, I started working. Mal Meninga, everyone will know Mal Meninga, owned a company here called Pass Primary After School Sport. Yep. And maybe 2002, actually, I, I think I started working for that company. So instead of after-school care, kids would do after-school sports. Yeah, okay. So you'd have a sport for a term and you'd teach them the sport and their yeah. parents would sort of come and pick them up from after-school sport yeah, okay. uh, as opposed to after-school care. Yeah. And um, it was a great idea, but I don't think the ACT government wanted to back it, so they took it up to Queensland. But, yeah, I started there. Um, really, and I was like, oh, I love this. Like, That's I, cool. Yeah. So working with kids is hilarious. <laughs> it's oh, a lot yeah. of fun. It's challenging. Like I didn't get it in the beginning. I, I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to do a warm-up here, kids. And I had a 
sort of from kindergarten to year six, so a spread of different yeah, ages. I yeah. said, go for a jog around the post. And a few of them just kept hey, running around, hey, around lose, the post. Lose, I was like, come, come back. Lose you know? half the kids yeah, on that. They took it so literally and I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a little bit different to, to what, I, what I was anticipating. But, yeah, that, um, that was a good place to start. So that was kind of your first roots. foray into coaching. Yeah. I, as part of my degree, I'd done a um, oh, yeah, bits and pieces here. coaching certification through CIT, which I was qualified Um so that was your PT so, stuff? No, no, no. This was a separate. It was coaching level one that you had to do as part of the degree I was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had done my coaching level one. Yeah, okay. So then so then, when did you start in a gym? So uh, I actually I started lecturing for a private RTO in 2004. 2005 maybe and I taught so I taught there for many years um, even when I was um, running gyms taught there and at CIT before I taught taught before I was actually running gyms there you go so yeah I don't I wasn't in a gym till 2006 like coaching in a gym, I don't think till two thousand and six. Yeah, May- maybe maybe a little bit before, but yeah, where somewhere was, in around there. Where was that? Where was that in two thousand and six? Where so did you start? I started my own business. Oh, let's see. And um, yeah, I had a little place on Felton Street in Mitchell. Yeah, maybe it was two thousand and seven, somewhere around there. Um. Yeah, so started out coaching there and then went to went to from there to Fishwick and then back to Mitchell over the years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What year did um then what year did Real Fit start? Real Fit started in twenty twelve. Were you part of it when it originally started? No. The the original owner, I actually worked with him. I was I was coaching him and he wanted to start his own business. And, um, yeah, I helped him with a few different things and one of those things included the name RealFit. And a lot of people don't know, but the F-I-T-T stands for Frequency, Intensity, Time and Type, which are key elements to programming. And the real part was about... As, as corny as it may sound now, it, it's actually such an important thing for people to be real, to be yourself. And that's what, you know, that's what RealFit uh, initially stood for. So having a part in coming up with that, uh, it meant a lot to me. So yeah, it, was, it was awesome to then eventually become an owner. So then uh, when did that happen? So then when did you become part of RealFit? So, in terms of owning, yeah. Um, actually, I think Real Fit actually might have been 2010, and then I took over owning owning it in 2012. 20, yeah, I think around 2012. Yeah, okay. It's hard. The timeline. Oh, a bit, yeah, I know. Like, I, I, I mean, before all of that, I managed personal training for a, a company that had seven facilities throughout Canberra. I had 38. PTs that I was responsible for. 
Um, so I was doing that and running a gym, my own own gym, and um, and teaching as well. So yeah, that's full I was yeah. really fully immersed in our industry. Yeah, on the front lines as a teacher and sort of as a business owner. So I think when I was in the classroom at that time, I could really speak about the experience. Everything you were going through, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then you've been with Real Fit ever since? Yeah, yeah. It must have been interesting for you to watch Real Fit from where it started in twenty when you, when you first started yeah. in 2012 or whatever to where it is now, the kind of evolution and the changes that have happened. Absolutely. It has gone from strength to strength, I think, because of the people that we've been lucky enough to bring in um, and also obviously our, our members and just learning more and understanding more about people and the industry and uh, business has been priceless. So what people see now is an evolution of sort of eight years um, as a business. Because I guess that's the other thing that on the other side, consumers might not realise that much that you're constantly trying to figure out how to evolve your service and make it better to suit them. Absolutely. Same as any sort of industry. Absolutely. And, And to know and understand what people want and balance it with what what they need as well, and what you need. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot. Of, I think a lot of young ones coming into the industry are seeing it through rose-coloured glasses. Don't get me wrong; it's a great industry to be involved in, but the industry by nature is quite transient because oh, yeah. you get into it because of a passion for activity, sport, exercise. But the reality is it's like any other industry. If you want to be great at your job, you have to be passionate and you have to be willing to work hard and make sacrifices over a long period of time to get to where you want to be. Mm. It's no fluke that RealFit is where it is now. It's been a, a multitude of people over a long period of time working hard, making sacrifices here and there to get it to to where it is. When I first got into the industry, I always had a dream to one day have my own facility and I probably had that too soon, Ben, and um, I learnt, I made a lot of mistakes um, and I learnt from those mistakes and really tried hard to avoid those happening in real fit. Yeah, okay. Which is ten? It's the same story here from most people. They start something and then it tends to go okay at the start, and then all of a sudden, just the walls came in, and it's like you have all these issues. You just have to figure it out as you go. Um, but that is actually a good segue. So obviously, you've been coaching for umpteen years now, 16, and like sixteen years. And like you said before, there's so many coaches that kind of float in and out of the industry. And yes. A big part of that is probably because the perception they have is not an accurate one. It's not an accurate perception that gets painted by the companies that run Cert 3s and Cert 4s and those that do you and universities who yes. do degrees and stuff. They paint the industry very different to what it actually is. Um, but, yeah, you're someone who's sort of lasted a long time. So do you have any kind of advice for young coaches in terms of longevity, how how to last like sort of as long as you have or in, and even longer? Well, this is an industry that you genuinely – 
have to care about other people. I mean, you can't fake that. You have, I mean, if you want to do well, you, you need to have a genuine interest in people and not things to be successful in, in our industry because it really does involve connecting with other people. Um, and if you don't sort of seek to understand someone, if you're more you know, quick to judge, you're probably not going to do so well in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you, you should realistically, it's a good idea to start out on the gym floor to ply your trade, you know, to, to meet a lot of people, get used to talking to people and communicating with them. The most important part, I think, of communication is your ability to, to listen and actually take in what the other person is saying. Mm. Um, it's very, very important because in our industry, there's only a very, very small percentage of people who are successful that have an inability to communicate. And a lot of them in, are in research positions Um or sort of high-end strength and conditioning where they're programming but they're not actually dealing with the athletes. Well, that's the other thing as well. I think most young coaches don't realise how big of a part the communication aspect of it is. It's it's, massive. It's all well and good to learn the X's and O's and know know how to write a good program, but then if you can't communicate with people, you've just got no hope. Well, that's it. You can write the best programs, but if – Nobody, if you can't talk to someone and you can't get buy-in, then what's the point? It's just yeah, and that's the other thing as well. You can't. Like. No one ever tells you at uni or when you're doing your um, whatever courses you're doing. No yeah. one ever tells you that um, you're going to have clients show up who just don't want to train on certain days and all these sorts of things. Like, and how to deal with yeah, that? Yeah, no one prepares you for any of that sort H- of stuff. How do you how do you keep them motivated? How do you um, sort of keep their drive up? And and another one is working with clients for long periods of time. Like when you go through all these courses and that, no one, there's nothing there that you do that prepares you to have a client for five years, because you you're going to go through waves of different styles of training and all this sort of stuff. You that are, to, yeah. and you have to to keep them interested. You can't do the same thing, exact same thing for five years. No. But so there's nothing that really prepares you for that sort of thing either. It takes a very specific type of person that will do well in that, but they are a very small percentage of the people you'll coach. I think. Um, over the course, so I mean, I've worked with people now consistently, sort of week in, week out. Some of them for over ten years. <laughs> so just crazy. Yeah. So and there's because there's a genuine yeah. art to that, like being able to keep it interesting and keep them engaged and keep them keep a client for that long. Like, well, it's not what easy. it becomes right is they have different goals along the way, and that's great. But the overarching, I guess, outcome is that they are fit strong and mentally tough for life Mm. so if they always know that whatever it is you're doing whatever goal you're working towards if it's a powerlifting competition you know you want to improve your athletic performance for soccer or footy or whatever it is that's what it is at the time but overarchingly if you can look at it and go well um this is also going to make me better at life and help me to learn more about myself, yeah. then that's what keeps you motivated. Well, it's an interesting point as well. I spoke to a few people recently about with everything going on right now with um, coronavirus. Yeah. This is a perfect example of why you need to be strong and, and strong and fit because life throws these things at you and you're far, be, you're far more likely to be able to deal with this stuff if you're stronger and fitter. 
Like there's no guarantee. There's no guarantees. No, there's not. But you're just able to deal with life better and all the things that come at you. I think I think it's you can say that generally speaking because I've I've witnessed it and I've experienced it, and so have you. Um, but it's not only the sort of being fit and strong for life. It's the resilience that you get mm. from turning up to your two, one, three sessions a week consistently over time. Mm. That builds resilience and mental fortitude and you need resilience and mental fortitude to handle adversity. Just handle life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I haven't been around long but I've been around a little while enough to know that um, life can throw curveballs and it can be really, really tough it can, at times. It will. Yeah. It can, will throw curveballs and will be yes. tough at times. Yes. Um, then in terms of clients – do you have any advice for clients in regards to staying motivated with their training, staying engaged like long-term? Um, well, I can, I can speak from what I've seen and experienced over the years. I think the people that are able to maintain, to be committed to maintain motivation over time, long periods of time, so t- 10 years, five years, um, they understand that it's normal to go through times where you're not motivated Mm. and you aren't going to be showing up every single session for a block of training and and look at it for what it is you're going to and it's how long you choose to stay in that space of demotivation. Sometimes you just got to get away. Sometimes life happens. Something happens in your family, you know, you've got to go overseas or whatever. That's fine. That's normal. Don't think that you have to turn up five times a week every single week for the rest of your life because it's not like that. For 99% of the people, it's not like that. If you want to have functionality, you want to have longevity, you want to be fit and healthy in your 60s, 70s, 80s, down the line so far that you can't even see it right now, you have to be in a, a routine that works for you and that isn't too much. And isn't too little. It's right in the middle. I think there. I think that plays into people's mindsets as well. If people view it as view training as a long term thing that they're going to be doing forever, it takes the pressure off. If you miss yeah. if you miss one session, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because no. you're back there next week. But like, it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just going life. to happen. But yeah, if you have that view of training is just a part of my life, it's going to be there forever. So if I miss one session or one week, it doesn't matter because then I'm back there next week, and like it's just going to always be there anyway. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think understanding that you're going to have times of being demotivated and um, not feeling like you want to commit to your training, understanding that that's normal. Yeah, and times um, where your body's not going to play the game. That's right. But also to look at it like you just said, To I know you've got to be in the moment um, and you've got to live in the now, but to look down the line and consider that, you know, maybe – you already have kids. Maybe you're going to have kids. They're going to have kids. You want to be able to pass the footy, kick the soccer ball, go on a hike, um, go on an overseas holiday with your grandkids and mm. stuff. To do that and to get the most out of it, you've got to be functional. The as hard much part as is possible. the hard part is too. This is all. It's all. This is all kind of delayed gratification type yes. stuff. Like this is you could not train for ten years, and you'll be fine. Get away with life forever. Then all of a sudden you'll hit a point where you just fall off a cliff. Yep as where the person training now, like they might not notice any major benefits right now, but then 10 years down the track is when they're going to see the benefits of all the training they've done. 
They're the, person that's, they're the person that's still able to walk and probably maybe even run when they're 70 as opposed to the other person who just body falls in a heap at 70. And I think that's where living in the moment helps because you enjoy the session. You know, you get in, mm. you get the most out of your session, you leave and you know that your energy levels are up, you know, you're, you're feeling the vibes, you're feeling good. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's what attracts so many people to it in the first place. And I guess that's partly on us as well, like as coaches, to reinforce that long-term view of training and keep it interesting and engaging to so that people keep coming back. Yeah, and, and that's, that, that's a challenge for coaches full stop, let alone if you're new to the industry. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, you've come straight out of um, university or you've just got your certification through CIT or um, a private RTO. You know, you, you, that's why I suggested before it's a good idea to start out on the gym floor if you can afford to do it because mm. you'll learn a lot. It's a good idea to just start coaching as soon as you can. Yeah, just because yeah. you're going to make a heap of mistakes and you have no idea what you're going to feel like you have no idea what you're doing for a little while. And I think it's just normal. Like you just have to go through that. Same as getting good at anything. You've got to, you got to allow yourself to do it and be shit at it almost at the start so you can get better at it. Yeah, and understand sort of and the sooner you you've do got that, to do some time. To, to, But it's what you do with that time, like you say, that makes the difference. Like coaching, if you're on the gym floor – or you know you're you're doing some PT work, you know. Like if any interaction that you have with someone that value adds to their experience, that's coaching. You know, that's part of coaching, essentially, isn't it? Like if you can help somebody with their lat pull down form, even if it's just for five minutes, that's and that coaching. essentially comes back to making sure you're coaching for the right reasons. Like if you're coaching just to just to coach and to help other people, then you'll find enjoyment in those little things and that sort of stuff. Absolutely. As opposed to seeking whatever external validation you might be looking for. I still get that now. Like it doesn't like if I'm walking along the gym floor and, and I see somebody doing something and I ask them, you know, why why is it being done that way? And then then, you know, they're like, oh, because of this, this and this. And I said, oh well, you know, if you just make a slight adjustment to your shoulder angle there. And they do it and they're like, oh, thanks for that. Like I get a lot out of yeah, it's really cool. that, you know, still. Okay, so that'll pretty much do us. I'm sure there'll be a few another round of this or a few more rounds or whatever. But that's pretty much what we wanted to cover for today. Is there anything else you wanted to chuck in there before we finish up? I'll just sort of say for, just quickly before we sign off, just further to what you and I were discussing before, I think for young coaches or any anyone that wants to get into this industry, um, there was a, a young coach that I met years ago that actually sort of sought me out. His name was Ben Griffin. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think for young, young coaches coming in, seek out um, people that have been in the industry a while and maybe have some experience and are happy to share it. Um, and surround yourself with the kind of people that you respect and admire and you'll probably learn a lot more. I know that sounds like it's, you know, an impossible thing to do, but send some emails out. Say, hey, I'm new to the industry. Do you mind if I come and have a chat to you? And you might be surprised at the amount of people that will say yes to that. Yeah, I think that's a massive thing. Like a lot of people will 
will help you. As long as you're not coming in being ridiculous about asking for crazy things, like most people want to help and pass on their knowledge. Like, so yeah, you'll find if you reach out, I think you're right. You'd be, you'd be surprised how positive the feedback you get from them will be. Yeah. How much they're willing to help you. And, you know, like you might be shy. Um, you, you might not, you might be outside of your comfort zone to do that. But when you get outside of that comfort zone, it'll grow and you might be pleasantly surprised. So I, I think, yeah, you've got to learn a lot on your own two feet, off your own back, but it won't hurt you to sort of meet people and talk to them about their experiences. Oh, yeah, say for you making a few dumb mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's the best way to learn, but, yeah. Um, also, yeah, thanks heaps for having me on, Ben. I think you've got a great podcast and – um, I look forward to seeing it grow over the years, mate. So no worries. Thank, thank you very I'm much. I'm sure we'll do this again at some point. But, yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing this. Have a good day.